Seku and Hasebo and Amushikila Basitu and Alimureke and Otula Majide Kruti. Izino Lumurevi Shikila Pose. No, 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 Tile Baraki, no, ho, 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 for te bashela, ha, ha, Isula dikidi moza, te borove abaste, Isele mukrate sumiate sto. For the time has come for you to take some big steps. Big steps. That will cause a great change of scenery in your life. And now. The mountains shall be removed and hindrances shall be removed and things are turning even now. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement, angelic reinforcement, angelic reinforcement. Vika hata anda ata ora bata rata anda eke eke manda rasa. I count to three right now and then release yourself in the heavenly language. One, two, three. Go ahead. Shekara babara babara bashantara bakara bahantai. Mandara bakandara bashambara bahantai. Shekiri antara basambara bakatara mahantai. Mura bakabara bahantara bashekiri antara bahantai. Good morning. As you can see today, we are talking uh, about what is arguably the most divisive issue in Christianity. Uh, this is the most divisive issue in the Bible. Uh, millions of, of Christians, churches have been divided um, over this particular issue. And so let me say... I've got a lot of friends who very much love Jesus, and they disagree with me on this issue. Um, however, because it is so divisive, because it is so controversial, I think it's important that we make very clear uh, what we do believe as a church on this particular issue. Now, if you missed last week, or if you're planning to miss next week, you will not get the entire picture. Uh, what we are talking about is really over the course of three weeks being discussed. And so before you send me the email uh, debating what I've talked about, please uh, watch all three messages uh, and then I'll be happy to engage you. And so if you missed last week, we are in a series on 1 Corinthians 12 and we talked about spiritual gifts. Uh, if you missed last week, spiritual gifts are gifts from God to individual believers for the benefit of the church. And last week in 1 Corinthians 12, we saw Paul list out 10 spiritual gifts. Here's the passage that we read last week. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. In this passage, Paul lists ten spiritual gifts. 
five of these we put in the category of miraculous. We looked at the first three of those five last week. They are the gifts of healing, the gift of miraculous powers, and the gift of prophecy. And we mainly looked at the gifts of healing. And last week we talked about how this was a spiritual gift God gave to the apostles to legitimize them and their message. In other words, they had the ability to miraculously heal individuals for the purpose of people seeing that miracle and then hearing their message about Jesus and saying, how do we know that these guys are from God? Oh, look, God has given them the ability to perform these miraculous healings. Once they were legitimized, once their message was legitimized, that gift went away. They ceased to have that gift. And last week, we looked how even in the lives of those apostles, that gift, that gift ceased to exist. This week, just as I promised you, we are looking at the gift of speaking in different kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, before we dive into those, let me say this, because some of you have questioned me on this. Do I believe that God still performs miracles? Absolutely. Do I believe that God miraculously heals people? Absolutely. I pray for that when there is someone who is sick that I know. I will pray, God, please heal that individual, either through modern medicine or through some miracle. I absolutely believe that God still does that today. What has ceased is not God doing miracles. What has ceased is the ability of an individual to do a miracle. For an individual to say, be healed, you're better, in Jesus' name be healed, that is what has ceased, not God doing miracles. Okay, now the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Just like last week, let's define these spiritual gifts. And these gifts are a little harder to define than the ones last week because there are two different definitions for each of these. Okay, here's the first definition. Speaking in tongues. Definition one. The gift of speaking in tongues, also translated languages, is the ability to miraculously speak in a human language previously unknown to the individual for the purpose of sharing the gospel through what would otherwise be a language barrier. The key here is this is a human language. And so, interpretation of tongues, the first definition would be the gift of miraculously interpreting the words of an individual speaking in a human language previously unknown to the interpreter for the purpose of translating the gospel to those who otherwise would not understand the speaker. That is one definition of that gift, of those two different gifts. Now, there's a second definition of both of those. Here's the second definition. Utterances approximating words and speech usually produced during an intense religious experience. A heavenly language not spoken by humans. A language spoken through the Holy Spirit without the use of the mind. The key here is this is a heavenly language spoken through the Spirit, not a known human language. Therefore, by this definition, the interpretation of tongues is the ability to interpret the heavenly language spoken by an individual and translate into an earthly language understood 
by the gathered church. This is taken very seriously, and the congregation firmly believes that the words of the interpreter are God's instructions for the church. These second definitions of tongues and the interpretation of tongues are what is believed and practiced by modern-day charismatics. That is what you saw in the video earlier. Uh, Now, it's difficult to make a generalized statement about all Pentecostals and all charismatics. There are millions and millions in the world, and so some groups may say, well, that's not exactly what we believe. However, we're having to make general statements, and so generally speaking, according to charismatics, there are two purposes of tongues. The first purpose is that tongues are a sign of a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Meaning when a person becomes a follower of Christ, they get the Holy Spirit residing in them. However, there is a second filling of the Holy Spirit, normally called a second baptism or a second blessing. And the primary sign that the second blessing has occurred is the ability to speak in tongues as a heavenly language, not an earthly language. Secondly, the gift of tongues is primarily a prayer language between believers and God. It is not praying with our minds, they would say. It is praying with our spirits. And it's praying in a way that goes beyond what human words can express. They would say that tongues are a blessing of God for the believer to enable them to connect with God on a deeper level. Now, before we dive into several passages this morning, I want to review two very specific truths we said about spiritual gifts when we looked at 1 Corinthians 12. The first is we have been given different spiritual gifts. Paul makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians 12, and he uses the analogy of a human body. And he says the hand is different than the the foot, the eyes are different than the ears. However, they all have a purpose. And the analogy that he makes to spiritual gifts is this. We have all been given different spiritual gifts. However, they all work together for the good of the body. In other words... To say that everyone should have the gift of speaking in tongues does not fit with the entire chapter uh, that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12. It misses the whole point of what he said. Years ago, I had the chance to visit um, a charismatic revival service with a friend. Uh, He was part of a church that spoke in tongues, and he invited me to one of their nightly services, and I was very curious uh, about what they did and what the service looked like, and so I quickly agreed to go. Uh, We went to the service. There was a lot of music. There was a lot of speaking in tongues. There were interpretation of tongues. Um, There was a lot of movement. Uh, One of the big things that happened in the service was that people were slain in the Spirit, If you've never seen that, it's essentially where the pastor goes around and he touches someone on the forehead or he just kind of waves his hand in front of them and they fall on the ground and they have been slain by the Holy Spirit and and they're down for the count. At one point in the service, the only two people left standing were me and the pastor. Everybody else was out. And he looked at me like, hey, what's up, man? And I just said, hey, I'm Baptist. (laughs) 
And he, oh, okay, I get it, you know, and just moved on. Well, after the service, my friend introduced me to some of his friends in the church, and they were not quite as understanding as the pastor about me pulling out the Baptist card and saying, I don't need to be involved. They were convinced that I needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, I I think I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And they said, no, you're not. And I said, how do you know? And they said, because you can't speak in tongues. And they were convinced that I was a second-class Christian because I did not speak in tongues. Now, they may have been right about me being a second-class Christian, but it was not because I can't speak in tongues, because Paul makes it very clear that not everyone is given every gift. We all have different gifts. Now, here's the second thing that Paul made clear. Spiritual gifts are given, and these are the words that Paul used, for the common good. Every gift, preaching, administration, serving, mercy, They're all primarily given for the benefit of the church, not primarily for our own benefit, which means that if speaking in tongues is primarily a private prayer language between us and God, the benefit is for the individual who gets the gift, not for the common good. So that definition of tongues being a private heavenly language doesn't fit with 1 Corinthians 12. So, how did this second definition of speaking in tongues become the primary way this is practiced? Let me give you just a little bit of history of tongues. When I researched tongues in the early church, meaning in the years following the early church, after the close of the New Testament, there was very little that I could find. The early church fathers wrote almost nothing on tongues, and when they did... It always referenced tongues as a known human language. Uh, One of those references comes from Augustine. Augustine was the Bishop of Hippo, lived from 354 to 430. Here's what he wrote. In the earliest times, the Holy Ghost fell upon them that believed, and they spake with tongues which they had not learned as the spirits gave them utterance. Now, there is no Pentecostal or charismatic I know who would say that you could learn the heavenly language of tongues. Augustine clearly believed that tongues were known human languages. Uh, Another example comes from John Chrysostom, uh, who lived in the late 300s. He was the bishop of Constantinople. uh, And he wrote on a sermon about Acts chapter 10, which we'll look at in a minute, these words, without any clear knowledge or training in the ancient scriptures, They at once on their baptism received the Spirit, and one straightway spake in the Persian, another in the Roman, another in the Indian, another in some other such tongue. So Chrysostom clearly believed that the gift of speaking in tongues meant known human languages, Persian, Roman, Indian. Then you fast forward to the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. And the leaders of the Protestant Reformation just wrote volume after volume on theology, on books of the Bible. They preached sermons, and they wrote down their sermons. And none of the Reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, none of them believed that tongues were a heavenly unknown language. They all believed they were known human languages. So how did tongues become such a widely practiced phenomenon in the United States and around the world. 
What you saw earlier in that video has its genesis in an event that happened nearly 120 years ago. In 1900, a man named Charles Parham purchased a mansion in Topeka, Kansas, and started there what came to be known as Bethel Bible College. Parham and his wife had both been involved in the Methodist holiness movement, and they were convinced that churches needed to return to a state of holiness, and most churches were not experiencing the Holy Spirit as they could. So later that year, Parham left to go to Kansas City, and he left his 20 or so students there at the college And while he was gone, his instructions to those students were that they needed to study Acts chapter 2, and they needed to pray that God would reveal to them how they could be filled with the Holy Spirit the way we read in Acts chapter 2, the followers of Christ were filled with the Holy Spirit. They did exactly as he instructed, and when Parham returned on the morning of January 1st, 1901, His students reported that while he was gone, that God had poured out his Holy Spirit on them and that they were able to speak in known human languages other than English. Later that day, one of Parham's students, a girl named Agnes Osmond, began to utter random syllables. The students and Parham determined that she was in fact speaking Chinese, although none of them knew Chinese. For the rest of the day, she was unable to speak in English. And she started to write on a sheet of paper what they determined was Chinese, even though she had never studied Chinese before. The students were convinced that their prayers had been answered, that God had poured out the gift of tongues onto them, and that they now could speak in these known human languages that they had never studied before. Parham was convinced that they had an Acts chapter 2 experience. He was so convinced that he took to the local newspaper the writings of young Agnes Osman and the Chinese that God had miraculously given her the ability to write. Here's what he took to the newspaper. If you've ever studied Chinese... This ain't it. They are just random scribbles on a sheet of paper. And so people told Charles Parham, this is not Chinese. In fact, this does not come anywhere close to any known human language. They are just indecipherable, um, crude scribbles on a sheet of paper. Parham, nevertheless, insisted that that Miss Osmond had spoken and written Chinese, and that he and his students had experienced this gift of tongues as well. And what he insisted was that this was now a breakthrough for missions, because people no longer had to study languages. They could go to other countries, and there they could translate the gospel. They could speak the gospel through the gift of the Holy Spirit without having to learn the language. He convinced his students that they were now able to speak in these foreign languages. And so they decided to go on mission trips. And groups of them went around the world sharing the gospel they believed through the gift of tongues. In 1909, a report was done describing what happened to those groups. 
Here's what we read. Missionary S.C. Todd of the Bible Missionary Society has made investigations personally in three mission fields and among four groups of well-meaning but deluded people who have gone from this country to Japan, to China, and to India, expecting to preach to the natives of those countries in their own tongue. But in no single instance have they been able to do so. They have needed an interpreter even in the commonest affairs of life. Some of them are in absolute destitution and are dependent on their Christian brethren there for the, uh, for the necessaries of life and are helpless as babes. In some cases, they are in danger of losing all faith in the supernatural in religion and drifting into infidelity and sin. So obviously, Parham had been wrong. Less than a year after its founding, Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas closed permanently. However, a few years later, in 1905, Parham was invited to Houston, Texas to speak at a Bible school that was holding nightly crusades. A young African-American preacher named William Seymour was in attendance during this revival. By this time, Parham had changed his view on what he and his students had experienced. He said the reason no one could translate the languages that they had spoken is that their languages were not known human languages. Rather, they were a heavenly language only known to God. And he said this was a second blessing of the Holy Spirit, this ability to speak in a heavenly language. William Seymour heard Parham talking about this, and it resonated with him. So much that he began to preach this idea that speaking in tongues was a heavenly language given as a blessing to God to believers who experienced this second baptism of the Spirit. In 1906, Seymour was invited to preach in a small mission in downtown Los Angeles at a former Methodist church located on Azusa Street. There he began to preach this message that tongues were a second blessing of the Holy Spirit and it was a prayer language between man and God. Within weeks, this building became packed with people who were crowding in to experience what they called an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And for them, the main evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was this ability to speak in tongues in this non-human, unknown language. This revival continued continuously for three straight years. It never shut down 24-7 for three straight years. They gathered, they met, they prayed, there was dancing, people falling on the floor, testimonies, of people said that God had healed them. Eventually, Parham himself was invited to come speak at the revival, but after a while, he and Seymour had a falling out, and Parham later denounced the Azusa Street revival. He stated that he was shocked to find that people were rolling around on the floor, barking like dogs, engaging in periods of uncontrollable laughter. And when he left, he said he found no evidence at all that what was happening was from the Holy Spirit. However, Seymour formed a network of churches, and they began to send out missionaries throughout the United States and eventually throughout the world. And this charismatic movement took off 
and as a result spread all across the United States and around the world. And it has been, over the last 110 years, the fastest growing movement in the Christian world. So here's the question. Are they correct? Is this gift of speaking in tongues, the ability to speak in this heavenly language, primarily between believers and God, unknown to other people, or is it a known human language. Let's back up from 1 Corinthians 12 and look at tongues in other passages in the Bible. The first instance of tongues shows up in Acts 2. After Jesus was crucified and uh, resurrected from the dead, he spent 40 days with his followers, and then he said to his followers, go into the city of Jerusalem, and there I want you to wait for the promised Holy Spirit that will be poured out on you. Uh, The believers went to Jerusalem. There they waited. It was during Pentecost, this Jewish festival, where Jews from all over the Roman Empire descended upon Jerusalem. And while they were waiting there, this amazing thing happened. Acts 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, This word tongues here is the word glossolalia. You may have heard that before. It's where we get our word glossary. Here it means language, human known language. Uh, We could just as easily translate this. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. How do we know that these tongues were human known languages? It's because of what we read next. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. This word here is the word dialectos. We could translate this sentence as each one heard their own native dialect being spoken. Then verse 7. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? The reason they asked that question is that Galileans were not known to be the upper crust, well-educated members of society. Their question was, how is it that these uneducated country folks are able to speak in so many different languages? And then verse 8, here's the answer. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. There's that same word again that's used in 1 Corinthians 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 
Now, you have to understand this. The story of Pentecost is set against the backdrop of the account of Babel that's found in Genesis chapter uh, Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis 11, verse 1, here's what we read. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. There were not many languages. The entire world had one language. Then mankind decided to build a tower to the heavens, not to literally reach heaven, but as a symbol that they no longer needed God, that they were able to construct such an incredible building that they could could basically do anything they wanted to do, that mankind had arrived. The Tower of Babel was essentially mankind saying to God, hey, thanks for your help so far. Really appreciate all, of, all that you've done. But here are your walking papers. We no longer need you. Look what we can accomplish. And because of their rebellion and sin, God confused their languages. They suddenly spoke in many different languages and they couldn't finish the project. One spoke in this language, another in another language. They couldn't communicate on how to do it. And so they were unable to finish the project. And then that story ends this way. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So the Tower of Babel was a symbol of the sinful pride of man. And having different languages was the result of that sin, of their rebellion against God. Pentecost, what we just read in Acts chapter 2, is God bringing together and healing what mankind had broken. There in Jerusalem, individuals who spoke all these different languages that were a result of what happened at the Tower of Babel, all came together and heard in their own language the good news of Jesus Christ. They all heard in their own tongue the, the gospel message and how God had, had provided a way to overcome the sin of man and reconcile himself to mankind. Now, here's what is so interesting to me. In Acts chapter 2, there is no debate The gift of tongues clearly was the gift to speak in known human languages. It is absolutely clear in the passage. However, in charismatic and Pentecostal churches, I never hear those individuals saying that the gift of tongues, at least in part, is the ability to speak in these foreign languages. I've never heard a church saying, hey, we acknowledge that at least in part it's It's these known human languages. We believe that it's a heavenly language, but also as well, it's these known human languages. I've never seen a church say, hey, we're going to have a worship service, and no matter what language you speak, come to the service, because we have individuals who have this gift of speaking in tongues, and we will translate for you through the Holy Spirit so that you can understand what's happening. As far as I know, I've I've never seen that. And yet in Acts chapter 2, there is no doubt, it is so clear that this gift was the ability to speak in known human languages. The gift of tongues shows up again in Acts 10. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the Jews who were gathered there at Pentecost. However, 
the early church wasn't 100% sure that Gentiles could fully be included in the people of God. And to be honest, those Jews had a whole lot of scripture and a whole lot of tradition on their side. But then God revealed to Peter, who was the leader of the church and the other leaders, that the Gentiles were to be included in the church as well. And at an event that became known as the Gentile Pentecost, here's what happened. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Well, how did they know that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles, non-Jews? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. Why they have received the Holy Spirit. Now here's the key. Just as we have. Just as we have. How did the Jews receive the Holy Spirit? They spoke in tongues that were known human languages. Here again in Acts 10, when they spoke in tongues, they spoke in known human languages. Then tongues shows up again in Acts 19. This time it's Paul in Ephesus and he meets some individuals who said they were believers, but Paul saw that something was missing. Uh, He understood that they didn't have a full picture of the gospel. So he asked them this follow-up question. Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, no, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. They became followers of Christ. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Again, it's the exact same word that's used in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. And I just have to believe that if in this instance they spoke in this heavenly language that was unknown, that Luke would have clarified it. That Luke, the writer of Acts, would have said, hey, I know when I wrote about it in Acts 2, they were talking in known human languages. But here, it was this heavenly language. I think he would have clarified that. But he didn't think he had to because he's using the exact same word. And the story in Acts 2 makes it clear exactly what it was. Even in 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul references the gift of tongues in the passage we just read, here's what he wrote. The gift, all these different gifts, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues. Different kinds, meaning various languages, various human known languages. Had this been the gift of speaking just in a heavenly language, he would have said the gift of speaking in a different tongue. But he doesn't say that. It's many different tongues. These three references in Acts, and then what we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, are the only references in the New Testament to the gift of tongues. So why is it when it's so clear in all the references of Acts, that they are known human languages. Why is it that those who uh, are charismatic and Pentecostal, why is it they believe that tongues are this heavenly language? 
You got to come back next week and we'll look at 1 Corinthians 14 and I'll explain why.